This is Coda Radio, episode 135, for January 5th, 2015. And welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host, who's established on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Help us to find mute. Hey, Chris. Hey, Mr. Dominic. Started off strong. It's the new year. Got to go in new strong. Year. First episode. I think that's appropriate. It's real quite good. How was your New Year's? Yeah, it was good. I was working most of it, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah me too, actually. Uh, but we ended up having friends over New Year's Day, uh, the first, which is always nice because uh, we don't get to see them very often. And they have kids that are our kids' age, so they come over. And we always discuss, like, the podcast we're listening to. And, uh, you know, recent games, like I, basically whenever they come over, I always end up buying a Steam game. That always seems to happen. Uh, so it's, it's always a good time. It's a good excuse to see people and uh, do a little extra here and there. So last week generated quite a bit of discussion. You were all yes, fired up. We got quite a bit of feedback. I picked out a few good ones. Like uh, I just figured we wouldn't go into all of them. Uh, in fact, I didn't want to uh, most of them, but I, I thought there was a couple of really poignant ones, and I wanted to grab those. So I have, I have, I have broken the feedback up in a very structured way to make it really feel like it's moving for everybody. So first up is stuff not really related to last week's new topics we can just discuss. Then after that, I got something kind of cool the community's been working on. We're going to talk about, and then we'll get into the specific follow up to last week's episode. Look at me, like I'm planning. You, you like that? Like I'm all you're planning. Planning. You're moving. You are. Dare I say? organized you know what it is it's just i think i'm getting good at doing this i don't know what it is i didn't even mean to i was i gotta give you a full disclosure before we start uh i i do not know what's going to happen uh i've felt a little groggy all day it didn't uh oh, no. i had uh i had uh like a like a couple of drinks after last on sunday and i just didn't sleep quite right like i this is why i don't drink anymore right there because it messes with the sleep nothing's more important than the sleep so what do i do i have a couple of drinks and so I don't sleep quite right. So then I get into the studio and I forget to bring my lunch because I'm yep. a dumb person who cannot remember things in the morning. I just I am I'm, I'm on rails. I'm like a game on rails in the morning. I got a couple of extra bonuses and achievements I sometimes can get, but I'm essentially on rails. And so if I got to pick up a meal that I prepared for myself in the fridge, well, that's not on the track. So I don't pick up that meal. So then I get to the studio and I realize I don't have any lunch for today. So what do I do? Of course, the only thing that's in the studio right now is rice. So I make myself a big bowl of rice. I eat all of that. And then I feel kind of groggy because I just had a big bowl of rice, and then I drink an energy drink. So that's that was my 30 minutes before I got on there. So who knows what could happen? That's a feature. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's move into uh, our uh, feedback. PT Dave writes in. He says, what to do? I have a dilemma. I have a project that, I'd be, uh, that I've been working on for a few months now that I've written in Go and AngularJS. Without giving too much details out on what it is, it's quite nice. Now, I plan on developing it for free uh, and, and for my school district. But I'm a bit. I'm at a bit of a commercial dilemma. Get ready for this, Mr. Dominic. I really want to give something back to the community for open source, but I also want to make money. As I've mentioned before, I'm not a programmer by title, but I have the skills as I can jump and adapt between nearly every language. So my question is: 
Do you and the listeners believe it is better to release it on GitHub as open source and sell it as a big portfolio option or sell it as a service on my own or keep it closed source and maybe keep all the potential revenue to myself? Eager to hear your opinions, PT Dave. Mr. Dominic, do you have any opinions? You got to unmute again. This is you're like on a, you're like on, you're on you're on you're on a trip. You're like almost two for three over there. <laughs> Skype is the enemy. Yeah, I know. You know what we need to do is get a big budget and fly you out here every Monday. That would cool. be awesome. Yeah, would yeah. be awesome. So, what do you think? Uh, any any opinions yeah, on his dilemma? As always, it depends. Right, it depends on the project. Um, you know, open source. If there's some kind of revenue model where you can make it on service and support, great. If you're actually selling the code itself as a binary, you probably need to go commercial. I, I kind of feel like we need to do a reality check here. So, PT Dave, I mean, I love you, man. You're you're a great audience member. And uh, when I uh, when I look when I read this, you, a couple of things you say jump out at me. Number one, you said as you as I've mentioned before, I'm not a programmer by title. Uh, then are you really making something that has like some amazing revenue potential? Like realistically. How likely are you going to make money from this? Like if you step out and look at it as like a – see, and this is really hard to do sometimes. Before you've entered the market, it's sometimes hard to fully understand and assess the market. You think you know it. You look at all of the dynamics externally. But then when you actually get inside those dynamics, the market turns out to be a lot different than you thought it was. And I'm just curious if you actually have a chance at making money at this because that should be a serious consideration. I wouldn't just automatically assume you're going to make money. Not to be harsh. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that's all. If you think you can, I mean, then it's really up to you and how much. It, 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 here's what I would. Here's PT Dave. If you're really struggling, I guess maybe consider this. It, what do you have to do to make sure it continues to be a success? Mm. What what option is viable to you to be able to afford to do that? And and how much time do you have to dedicate to this? If you don't have a lot of time to dedicate to this, but you still want it to be a success, well, then you could leverage the input of the open source community to continue to make it better. And that would be essentially free labor for you. However, if you have time to dedicate to it all the time and essentially be a one-man show for it, it might make sense to maybe not and keep it, keep it exclusive to yourself. Uh, it just depends on those dynamics, I think. It's a hard one, and I like the word dynamics. All right, Mr. Dominic, unless you have anything else, I'm going to move on. Keep it, straight, keep it tight. Uh, JB Hawk writes in. He says, uh, for five years now, I've been listening to the JB shows, and uh, I disagree with Mike's stance on unpaid internships. Even and would support a law that strongly restricts them to organizations like 5013Cs and the like for the following reasons. Now he's going to do a teardown, Mike. Get ready for yourself. Number one, false advertising and false expectations. By example, internships like college ones, just like their apprenticeships, were invented with the intent of accelerating the onboarding process. If the business is unable to compensate an intern, uh, even with a small stipend, then they certainly lack the budgetary means to hire them at the end of the internship. Business owners should focus on growing their revenue instead of milking free labor. Boom! Take a non-U.S. example, Spain, which in recent years relaxed its own internship laws. Many Spanish corporations now have drastically reduced hiring altogether and rely on steadily recycling free interns every 11 months. I would support unpaid internships if and only if the employer guaranteed full-time employment at the end of the 11-month program with a local market compensation. If their employer cannot commit to this, their business is running on a shoestring and requires attention elsewhere. All right, so I'll stop there because I had some thoughts on that. Uh, that, that, def- that definitely is a line of thinking that makes sense, and I can't necessarily disagree with it. But I would maybe add it depends on the situation. 
Yeah, it's also it's also a, a premise you haven't proven, right? I mean, I, I certainly agree, right? Like, if you can't meet payroll, then interns aren't going to solve your problem, not because it's wrong, but because they're just not that good. Right? I mean, not not to be mean, but they're interns. Yeah, well, and um, see, that's I guess so. Here's the two factors that so what I feel like is not being considered is the fact that they are a burden on the business because right. they they training is one of the most expensive, time consuming things you can do. Uh, so there's that aspect to it. Uh, but also, uh, I think if you look at different businesses, the, the, it do, different situations apply. When you're talking about your Googles, your Microsofts, your Apples, this seems like a no-brainer. When you're talking about your Jupiter Broadcastings, well, an intern, if, they, if an intern came in here and had, like the, he says here is, is in, in his example, an 11-month internship at Jupiter Broadcasting. Well, in 11 months, an intern could come into Jupiter Broadcasting, work for free, but easily have created a show that has a couple of sponsors and could be paying a wage at the end of that 11 months. So it, it's, it sort of depends on the business because some small businesses you can go in and sort of burrow out yourself a little revenue source and pay for yourself yeah. and then they can hire you at the end of it. I mean, we had an intern over the uh, summer and fall who, I mean, granted, we always did paid internships, so he was paid. But, you know, he, he came in right as we were really ramping up some of our Xamarin development and he got to go through that whole experience of, you know, he was like in the room when the decision was made. We're going to try out Xamarin for some projects, right? He was there as we, you know, first called the Xamarin people, got the licenses, dealt with the crazy issues with memory on Android, right? Like, I, I you know, whereas let's say at Google, he might have been getting someone coffee. Just, just throwing it out there. Now, I know for the writer, it's different because he was paid at FTT, right, but right. Well, and yeah. you think about it too. Uh, like uh, the video editing and production skill set that an intern would pick up here, uh, there's no way like you would be able to get like that hands-on kind of editing unless you're just doing it day in and day out. It seems very valuable to me, but yeah. I, I guess I, sometimes I think about it differently. Uh, so, and he also goes on to mention increased uh, social inequity. Uh, proponents of unpaid internships natively, or I'm sorry, naively presume that the individual is already financially supported by families or friends. This recession has changed all of that, the recent one. Parting thoughts. Paid internships are a solid litmus test for a business business's commitment to hire you, i.e., if they're going to pay you, that's a test to pass if they're going to actually keep you. Uh, which, uh, again, I don't necessarily – I think, yeah, there, if his, some of his premise is correct, then yeah. I think it just depends. But uh, <clears throat> I, I guess – the internship thing is, is just interesting. I continue, to, I continue to hear a good counter-argument. I really appreciate everybody sending that in. I think I continue to still look at it a little differently than the audience. And I'm, I, I do not mean to be age-biased at all, but I would be curious, those of you, when you, if you do want to follow up with your thoughts, if you wouldn't mind sort of giving maybe your general age range, just because I'm curious if it's a younger versus older expectation thing or if that's just a totally mis, mis, misread on my part. I could be totally wrong, but you know what I'm totally right about? DigitalOcean. Yes. Sponsor of the Coda Radio program. Head over to DigitalOcean.com right now. And we've got an awesome retro promo code. They're doing a transition. And so we get to keep the December code for a little bit longer, which doesn't that feel sort of late when you get to use the December code in January? Like you're a time traveler? Anyways, go over to DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code SNAPDECEMBER. Just remember that. You can apply that to your account. You're going to get a $10 credit. But let me tell you about DigitalOcean and why you would probably want a $10 credit. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's get real here. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider. And they are dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. I actually spun one up just a little bit before the show today. I've been monkeying around with increasing uh, the size of Jupyter Broadcasting's own cloud storage backend. And I was trying out different various ways of uh, 
doing uh, snapshots and uh, doing a backup server and doing some private networking with the backend storage. And I also got to mess around with the uh, root password reset. And, uh, you know, of course, I was working a lot in the HTML5 console. And I'm doing all of this on DigitalOcean just because the interface is so great. I really have no hesitation. And the prices are so reasonable that t- to try something out like this for a little while, it's, it's essentially, it's almost at no cost. Because uh, you can get started in less than a minute to create a server. And the pricing plans are $5 a month. Well, I just needed to do something for a few days. But for $5, I get 512 megabytes of RAM. 20 gigabyte SSD. Their SSDs throughout. One CPU and a terabyte of dedicated transfer. And they have data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. But it's really the interface. It's super, super great. I spent some time in there just, you know, right before the show. And I'm still going, this is... You know, I'm, I'm like almost a, maybe a, over a year into using DigitalOcean now, and I'm still blown away by the interface. Uh, I've, I have deployed massive VMware ESX implementations and Zen systems. And, you know, we have Proxmox here at the Jupyter Broadcasting Studios. Uh, and, of course, I've worked with just all the, different, all the different breeds of VMware and VirtualBox and KVM, of course, right? But I have never seen an interface like this, not one that works on such a global scale. With the DNS management, the snapshot, and one-click installations using the most modern Linux technologies all built in. It's, it's really awesome. Go over to DigitalOcean.com. Try out your own droplet for two months for free. We can use our promo code, uh, Coder December. Coder December. And uh, it's a retro one. So Coder December will get you that $10 credit. While it lasts, you can go in there and get there, try it out, and be pretty impressed. Uh, I, I got to say, OwnCloud 7 is getting legit for me. I have my phone contacts and notes Syncing to OwnCloud. I've got, I use all my show notes when I save them. I save them up to OwnCloud now. And uh, we're starting to get more and more of our production stuff into OwnCloud. And I'll have it run, I have it running on a DigitalOcean droplet. And I just have that peace of mind. We go in there, we take snapshots from time to time. It's great. So go over to DigitalOcean, use the promo code CODERDECEMBER when you check out and try them out. DigitalOcean.com. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Code Radio program. So uh, we've been talking about the OpenYourMouth.Recipes website, something we launched here. It's open source recipes written in Markdown up on GitHub. We're asking the Jupyter Broadcasting audience to contribute, and then we're going to pick some out, and I think we're going to make a few. Uh, And uh, there's been an interesting development around it. Uh, So uh, 19 Keister wrote into the show on the subreddit and says, I've created a public web interface for the recipes. Now, it's still a work in progress. Like a couple of things I I would like to see changed is maybe Hmm. move the domain. And right. uh, I think it requires some change to the, the, the markdown files themselves that we're still thinking about. But check this out. This is what I love about our audience is they've embraced this so much. He's created a fully mobile-ready interface so you can be in the kitchen and browse all of the new recipes that have been, that have been submitted by the community. So you could, he has it all broken down right here. So, of course, let's go into maybe appetizers. And here you see bacon cheese balls and savory muffins are in there. And, uh, of course, if you swipe back, you can go and get your breakfast recipes, and they're all broken out. Now, right now, because the changes haven't been made to the GitHub files, they don't render quite right. But uh, it looks really neat. And it's just so cool to see the audience uh, not only embrace the recipe site, but now go create interfaces that make it more practical. Uh, So we'll have a link to the uh, blog post where... uh, he talks about it. It's pretty neat. He says, I used Apaxi, which is basically a theme to cover up the hideous Apache folder index, and Docs on Clearance, a Ruby script that enables your Apache web server to serve Markdown rendered as HTML. Then on top of all of that, I used Bootstrap to add a simple navigation to the top and basic sticky footer to the bottom. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, that is really neat. He says, I also modified the license file and put it in Markdown. Uh, and uh, yeah. And he also made a video about it, too, which is just amazing. 
So I'll, we'll have links to that in the show notes. And you can check out the recipes at openyourmouth.recipes, and you can submit your own, too. It's a good way to play around uh, with GitHub and whatnots. All right, Mr. Dominic. Uh, now let's get into our feedback for last week's topic, uh, Fair and Balance, Coda Radio 134, where we talked about uh, – we tried to take two sides to the uh, – uh, to the to the technology to the tech industries to the I guess the the big tech companies stance on immigration and potentially trying to uh, lessen the cost of labor. So uh, Tad Can says he wants to take a dissenting voice on uh, the, the direction of our conversation last week in uh, 134, uh, specifically around technology hubs, which is a point that I think you talked about pretty well. And he says the uh, technology hubs that we see now are a product of human nature, even before technology. There were parts of the world that were known for the new wave of paintings, medicines, learnings, or whatever. Back to ancient Greece and to Baghdad during the European Middle Ages, to the Enlightenment and coffee houses, people were drawn to where big discussions of the day were being had. Uh, he says, as an example, in 2012, a flood hit Thailand, which knocked out all the factories that outright made just all the parts for hard drives. Uh, the downside to hubs can clearly be seen in Detroit. So no, I'm not arguing that they're universally a good thing. It's just that they just exist. They don't just exist because of money. He argues they exist because it's also just human behavior. Uh, he says the other argument I wanted to address is that the American programmer who keeps their money stateside, does this person not buy a Samsung product or any product made by a non-American company? Even if they only bought Apple products, they're still made in China. And the profits uh, constantly circle through the globe. Uh, through, warn, through a warrant of tax holes. Uh, so to argue 100% of money earned by American-borns uh, versus someone who came over with a work permit or green card is a false argument. The U.S. still is globally the largest economy, the land of freedom, liberty, and opportunity, regardless of any recent political events in America, still holds a powerful allure for the world. Does it matter if he sends some money back to South America or if he created a company that is keeping you guys in the space race? So what do you think of this argument? Yeah, I, you know, so th- there's a couple of things. He's talking about you know, Elon I, Musk at the end there. Yeah, I know. Elon Musk also thinks we're summoning a demon literally right now. Um, first of all, just a little cheeky, right? There are other reasons you shouldn't buy a Samsung device, starting with that they're crap. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. I'm sorry. Can we just pause for a second? I have had to do specific QA rounds on Samsung devices separate from all other Android devices in the last two weeks. Hmm. It has been unbelievable. Yeah, I used to be a fan of the Samsung. You know, the things about Samsung I like are the screens and the removable battery, but I just, uh, no, not my thing anymore. So it doesn't surprise me that you've run into issues with that. Uh, And uh, so, okay, so what are your thoughts, though, on uh, that hubs are just human nature? Lots of things are human nature that aren't good, right? And, And I think maybe, you know, he's reading me as saying, you know, shame on you, bad, bad, bad. Yes, there's foreign trade. I don't think foreign trade is particularly evil, right? It's okay to trade, you know, to buy Samsung devices, even though you're making your local developer cry a little bit. <laughs> um, it's totally okay to buy toys that are made in China. Like that's, they, I think perhaps I either overstated it or he felt I overstated it. The real issue to me is more when you when you hire bring someone in an H one B one visa, you have no guarantee that they're going to stay. Whereas someone who's a natural U.S. you know citizen or natural British citizen is far more likely just to stay, right? I don't know. Canada's looking pretty attractive these days. You know what? You would hate Canada, and you know it. You <laughs> would true. hate it. The day your tax bill came, you'd take a stroke. Oh, like, uh, dude! The day my tax bill comes today, I have a stroke. It's right. unbelievable. Canada's so much higher. Well, I, mean, yeah, you, I don't know. You, I was doing a, I was doing no comparison with Alan, and I think he pays slightly less than I do. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that a lot of the people who are very pro-immigration are also very anti-internship, which is odd because they effectively do the same thing. Or if your argument is that internships devalue developers, hmm. which I, I don't really believe, but okay. Um, saying that the the H-1B1 thing is a good thing is a little weird because that is I, I guess literally I just, designed to devalue developers. So why – so the, it seems like the immigration thing, the, uh, the alternative of these companies – I mean these companies don't take no as an answer. What they're going to do is just open up more offices in other countries where the wages are lower, right? Isn't that just what they would do is just open up like little tech cities over in areas? I mean that's kind of what they're doing now. I mean, I, it seems like the, the real problem isn't solved. The real problem is, is that this type of job can be done anywhere in the world as long as you have an internet connection. And uh, that's what the real competition is right now. You know, they want they want their they want to have it both ways. They want to have the wages suppressed. They want to bring in extra work, uh, and they also want to do it right there in their home offices. Well, they, they want it both ways, but I mean, I don't want to get into this conversation again. All right, okay, all right, yeah, you're right. We shouldn't. The, we shouldn't. the thing they want is less about their home office and more that they want the guy who's changing the color blue on the widget on the website also needs to be like a tier one developer. Yeah. Right. They don't want to have like there are think about. I don't know, plumbers, right? There's the best plumber in New York, and then there's, you know, decent plumbers. And then there's your cousin Jim. And they all seem to get work. Um, what a lot of, I feel like a lot of these large tech companies are doing is trying to, you know, like we have this constant, oh, 10 times better, 10 times better than the average programmer. Has anyone actually proven that in any quantifiable way? And also, how would you define better? more experience is it better at design Probably i would think not. i would think better it'd be maybe a better thinker a better uh but what, what is better thinker? More, someone who who's very art and design oriented is that a good thinker or is it someone who's very calculus and trigonometry and very googly it's actually it's very term? vague so therefore it's very right. hard to define yeah I, I think what's happening is you know google in particular is super selecting for those kind of nerdy mathematics based people right um which isn't bad right they have the right to do that um, where I take issue is this kind of false argument that as developers, because we're all egotistical jerks, we fall into and in saying, oh, yeah, you know, A developers are 10 times better than, you know, B developers. But the implicit statement there is also that, of course, the person saying that thinks he's an A developer. And the majority, you know, bell curves, right? We're all probably average. And there's very few really bad developers and very few really good developers. Yeah. This industry hasn't broken out that way, right? We're look at just I mean, go on monster.com, look up junior development jobs and look at look as they ask for three or five years of experience. You know, entry level. You know, not universal to software development, right? I'm sure this happens in mm-hmm. an IT admin. I'm sure this happens in freaking accounting or probably whatever. happens also to every every major uh, industry as it starts to mature and become more accessible to everybody. Less specialized. Yeah. Right. So it's, you know, the reality of this is a little sad, right? No one's going to get what they want. You know, you, you keep saying that the big companies are going to get what they want, but they're not, right? They're, what they want is extreme. They want, if you can write Java, we can have you come to the U.S., period. Um, they're not going to get that, right? They're going to have to make special cases and you know, do the thing where they write a job description for someone that they already know they want to hire, but they have to make it look like they couldn't hire someone else, <laughs> right, which happens all the time. Uh, I'm sorry, it sounded like a little bit like Conspiracy Bacon, just a little bit. Well, we've seen it happen. I mean, we've had people, if you go back a few months, write in about it happening. Yeah. 
So that's true. You know, it's fine, right? The status quo is going to be what it is. Eventually, you know what's really going to change? There are going to be less other jobs that are middle class, and we're just going to have more programmers. That's eventually just going to devalue it across the board. Boy, that's positive, but probably it'll be a long time in coming. Right, it's going to take a, It's going to be at least yeah. a generation. Yeah, I got. Let's here. Let's pick it up and let's get off this topic. I think we we gotta. We're gonna get. We're gonna get down if we talk about this topic yeah. too much. Uh, I wanted to plug. You know, it just dawned on me. Uh, Women's Tech Radio, new show on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network. Uh, episode seven just came out, and uh, I think the show is really starting to hit its stride. Uh, it really kind of started to hit its stride a couple episodes ago. Uh, and uh, episode five would be a great one to check out. Uh, Emma Jane Westby. She's a recovering developer, as she, as she calls herself. Uh, and then Aaron Clark in uh, episode six is the sysadmin for IX Systems. And uh, Ky- Kylin Gibatera, I believe is how you say her name, is a developer at uh, Citibank and a hackathon addict. She was interviewed in the latest episode, episode seven. Uh, there's a lot of really great developer interviews uh, that are showing up in here. It's not all developer related. But there's been a, quite a few good ones, and episode seven, six, and five are all really excellent uh, to go check them out. And uh, Women's Tech Radio, a new show on Jupiter Broadcasting Network, and I just realized it might be appealing to the developers in the audience, especially those that uh, are either of the uh, lady persuasion or have a lady in their life that might uh, like the topic, especially one who's trying to get into technology. So check out Women's Tech Radio. All right, we have, uh, we have some hoopla that we've got to discuss today because I think it is proving out one of my 2015 predictions, and we're just in the first week. Gosh, I love it. Are, are you happens. about to, to pour some gasoline on a fire here? Uh, I'm about to observe as, uh, how a fire is burned from the fuel uh, that I predicted would ignite. That's what right, I'm doing. How do you like that? But first, Mr. Dominic, I'm going to tell you about Linux Academy. Then I'm just going to we'll open up the flood banks and we'll let it flow, my friend. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go over there and get the Coder Radio discount and support the Coder Radio program. Over the holidays, I heard from folks who've been trying out uh, Linux Academy. In fact, I just got a tweet yesterday, and it's, it's, it's really thrilling um, and exciting to hear people that really get jazzed up when they go in there and they start accomplishing something, they learn something. Uh, and when I was in there, uh, <laughs> we actually had a conversation recently about something we wanted to change on the back end. I'm like, I don't know anything about it. Oh, it's in Linux Academy. It's in Linux Academy. It's just available as part of my subscription. I went over there. I logged in. started checking out the course. I'm like, oh, I've got this. I know this. It's so slick. They have step-by-step video courses for you on anything they're going to cover. And they have a whole range of topics with downloadable comprehensive study guides. It comes with your own server when you need one. So they'll just spin it up on the back end. You can choose from seven plus available Linux distributions. You get to keep track of your progress as you go along. Like Here's an example. And this is like something that I really need to wrap my brain around. Uh, they've got a puppet professional course. You can go from beginner. To fully certification ready pro. No kidding. Uh, and I've actually, I, and I can back that up. I've heard from several folks that have done this. Uh, or Docker. They've got great courseware on Docker, OpenStack. If you're in that DevOps gray area that uh, Alan and I refuse to fully acknowledge exists, uh, you can get all kinds of material that's perfect for you. If you just want to start implementing backups or learn CronTab, if you need to know AWS services, it's all available over at Linux Academy. They're always adding new stuff all the time. Lots of DevOps content, specifically in the last few months. You can go to linuxacademy.com slash DevOps specifically to see that and check it out. When you, use our, when you, when you go to linuxacademy.com slash coders and use our discount, you're going to get access to the library for a little while at our coder radio price, and you can really see the value of it. linuxacademy.com. Go over there and check them out. I think you'll be super impressed. They've got a lot of stuff like scenario-based training. They have learning plans where you can tell it how much time you have available and it'll automatically generate a plan that's like 
tailored to that time availability and the, and the topic you want to learn. And then like when you're on the go, you can still be involved in the learning process because of those downloadable content. Like they have videos and MP3s. You can listen on the road or in the shower like Seth. Why not? LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Okay. So I predicted, uh, I don't remember if it was in Linux Action Show or Linux Unplugged, that uh, eventually more and more people would switch to Linux from the Mac because people would get frustrated with OS X. And I said, this is why Linux distributions need to step the heck up with their support for the MacBook. Back in the day, there used to be a real effort to reverse engineer some of the stuff in these MacBooks and make Linux work on them, especially in the PowerPC era. Uh, but now it's, uh, it's okay. They're just, everybody's just kind of waiting for crap to hit the kernel, and it's really not very well done at this point. Ethernet only works if you hook up the Thunderbolt adapter boot. Uh, you want no external display, no thank you. Uh, Wi-Fi doesn't work without some uh, foolery. Same with the uh, webcam and, of course, the cooling. But I said I think the OS X experience is frustrating enough that users are going to start switching because at the end of the day, like Mike here, You've moved over, not fully, but you've moved over to a, desk, a Linux desktop, and you're like, well, yeah, I've got Chrome and I've got Sublime Text. It's kind of the same everywhere I go. And I, and I think fundamentally it does come down to that. And people will look at, look, I've got, this, I've got this hardware I like, but I'm getting super annoyed with OS X. Yosemite, in my opinion, and I, I, you know, I, I use it specifically for media production, but in my opinion, Yosemite is one of the worst releases of OS X ever. Uh, I don't know if it's quite as bad as uh, 10.7 was initially, which eventually, is, but it's bad. Uh, and I'm not the only one that thinks so. Your your buddy Marco Armit, uh, creator of Instapaper, former uh, guy over at uh, Tumblr, and now the developer of Overcast, he wrote that Apple has lost the functional high ground, and it has generated a internet s storm of responses that Apple is essentially losing its quality. The Apple software sucks. And that the latest operating systems have had major problems that in back in the day we would have ridiculed Microsoft for. This is all things that I've been saying, and I think this is why people are going to switch to Linux. So Jeff Wozniak, or Geoff Wozniak, now he pulled down this blog post, but he, over the weekend, a long-time, decade OS X developer, has switched to the Linux desktop because of these problems. And it seems to resonate with people so much that CNBC ran with the story from Marco's blog. I'm going to play this, and then we'll talk about it. So over a new piece by the former CTO of Tumblr, Marco Armand, on Apple. The, Apple, the headline is, Apple has lost the functional high ground. And the piece, he writes, quote, Apple's hardware today is amazing. It has never been better. But the software quality has taken such a nosedive in the last few years that I'm deeply concerned for its future. He's making the argument that Apple want, waits to release new software each year, or wants, I'm sorry, to release it for marketing reasons, but updates are too soon incoming and leading to a host of technical problems each and every time. Have you guys experienced this directly? Well, you know, Marco is one of the most thoughtful Apple software developers out there, both for iOS and for desktop as well. He was one of the original Tumblr employees. He does Instapaper now as well. And yes, I had experienced this kind of clogging up and over-featuring of the OS. Thought it was just me. Read Marco's post last night and saw people on Twitter like Chris Dixon, Mark Andreessen from Andreessen Horowitz commenting that they were experiencing this stuff as well. So I think it's a thing. I think it is a real challenge that Apple's facing right now. And Apple's stock is down today. (laughs) on the news. Uh, and so, uh, I don't know, Mr. Dominic, have you had a chance to noodle on this at all? Do you notice a decline in quality? And do you think uh, this is uh, maybe uh, Chris's prediction coming true? Okay, so what... 
All right, so I, I, there's a couple major issues, but one of them, I think the biggest issue is, hey, iOS 8, if you're running a 16-gigabyte phone, pretty much makes your phone worthless. Yeah. Uh, that's not a, well, I mean, it's kind of a software issue, but that's also, you know, we love margins so much, we couldn't give you 32 gigabytes. I mean, really, come on, guys. Yeah, I, I'm thinking yeah. more in the context of OS X, to be honest. Uh, oh, okay. So, that, that, see, I, I, thought, I read his article, and then I heard him on ATP, and I was trying to figure out, you know, what software is he talking about? Because every, in my opinion, of course, it's an opinion, um, every release of OS X, other than Snow Leopard, that I can remember, and I didn't really do the Mac thing until right before Snow Leopard, was bad. Right? Like, Snow Leopard was fine. Everything else was a horrible launch in terms of bugginess. And, you know, if you downloaded it day one, which granted is super risky and dumb, you're going to have problems. Yeah, um, I, I just updated our broadcast rig over the holiday break to Mavericks. Mm. Because, I, in my opinion, they're not enterprise grade releases until uh, over right. a year after release, after all the bug fixes. And I go to like, I go to like the point five release or whatever it is. Uh, and, uh, so I, I, I wonder, like, we, I know you've been experimenting more and more with Linux on the desktop. What is, I, I know there's a practical, but what's sort of that geeky motivator underneath that's getting you to want to go over there and check out the grass on the other side of the fence? Well, one cost, right? So I needed a second machine for my home office and I just wasn't buying a Mac. Um, sorry. We had a Dell XPS just laying around the office, so I just took it and put Ubuntu on it. I actually ended up going with, on your advice, Ubuntu Mate. Hmm, you did. Yeah, so I ended up paving it, taking Unity off, and just putting Mate on. How's that been working for you? Fine. It's actually a lot easier for me to use because I, I, you know, I use Linux back in the GNOME 2 days. Yeah. So it was much less foreign to me. And is it the one based on 14.04? Uh, it's the LTS. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that could be a nice workable box for years. Well, the other thing is I don't really care, right? I'm using, yeah. you know, when I'm working at home, I'm doing Rails. So exactly. I'm using Sublime Text, Chrome, Git, and SSH, right? Right. So what, Terminal, and that's it. See, this is my basic premise, is that uh, this is what a lot of developers are using these MacBooks for, is this kind of stuff. And you could accomplish that on a MacBook Pro with Linux when OS X starts to really bother right. you. The problem, though, is like the other 75% of my work requires a Mac, right? So right now I'm talking to you on a MacBook Pro um, connected to a, a cinema display because, you know, even in Xamarin development, yes, I could totally be running Windows, but not Linux. Um, but that just blows. I honestly. wouldn't even, I wouldn't even, I actually wouldn't even downplay the fact that we are now living in an era where a Mac desktop person has a Linux machine on the side and it's still fully functional. I think that's actually more significant. If you think about it from a Mac user's perspective, the fact that a Mac user is is now just has a Linux rig on the side, that is a huge shift. Because, I mean, there was a time where that kind of thing would never happen. Okay, but you're, you're, you're painting me as like, you know, the, the Johnny Appleseed guy. No, here. I don't mean just you. I mean, these, oh. these blog posts indicate that it's happening with other Mac developers as well. This, uh, this uh, Geoff Wozniak was a 10-year OS X developer when he switched. Yeah, but there were also plenty of folks who were using Ubuntu doing, you know, back-end web development. Let's switch to Mac for a couple of years, and now we're switching back. I mean, I, I think the other thing is people aren't buying. I'm just, in, you know, from what I see, a lot of developers are developing on laptops, and they're not keeping them like they used to keep their, you know, big old desktop rig, right? So every two years they buy a laptop. Yeah. I guess this time, last time they bought Macs, because I got to be honest, you know, liking Ubuntu Mate, Snow Leopard's still better. Really, think? 
by far. The problem is Yosemite, Lion, Mavericks are, in, in some senses, downgrades from what Snow Leopard was. Right. And do you know why I love Snow Leopard? Why? Because the day I put it on my machine, my machine got faster. That was a cool release, yeah. And there yeah. was no no features. It didn't yeah. look like Fisher-Price. That was a good one for the editing stations. I remember right. that one. It didn't, yeah. like, break all my apps and make them look out of date overnight. Yeah. But yeah. Granted, some, some, I, I also think some of the complaints are going to be, you know, Mac developers who designed the apps and now they look like crap because Yosemite doesn't um, – it's different, right? In my opinion, in my opinion, it. Yosemite, uh, the applications perform poor. Uh, specifically, uh, Motion, Final Cut, and Logic all seem to be very laggy. Uh, whereas um, in the previous releases, Final Cut felt very fluid, and I was like, "Oh, so this is the payoff. This is why they rebooted. This is why they built Grand Central Station. This is why they've you know built all this stuff on OpenCL. This is the payoff. We're finally there." And then I upgraded to Yosemite, and it's back to unusable again. Now, well, thankfully, I don't edit anymore, so right. it's not really my problem. It's Rikai's problem, and we're not edit. We're not upgrading the machine he edits on at this point. But uh, I look at it and I think to make it usable, you have to go and you turn off transparencies, you increase contrast, you do all this stuff, and it still performs worse. Uh, and it's just it's it's disappointing. Uh, every release seems to be less and less reliable. Uh, and, and in my opinion, I think uh, I think part of the problem is is that it is driven by marketing. It's driven, like, they see the operating system as a feature, and not just, like, from a marketing standpoint, too, but actually from a way they do their billing and costs with these devices. They build the cost of development into the cost of the device, so they see it as part, they see they see it as hardware and software must go together. And it's just, it seems like an impossible pace for them. And I'm looking at these alternatives, and I'm thinking people are going to, people are, more and more people are going to jump. You've got people like Marco Arma who are noticing it, though. I mean, that's huge, right? Don't you think that's... I mean, it, he's sort of like when he not, when he calls not, it out. Not he's... really. I mean, they're yeah. I mean, it's interesting that he said it, but you know, there have been really crappy Ubuntu releases recently, right? Incredibly shitty Windows releases. Like everybody has this problem once in a while. Well, and that leads me to my next segue. So it seems like potentially Linux's game to win, but let's let's be legit. Let's real talk here, Mr. Dominic. How how when, could it be? Wait 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 wait. How could it be Linux? Okay, I call my Dell rep right after we get off the phone. I'd say I want to buy some developer desktops. He's going to talk to me about Windows eight. Well, actually, I think he's going to talk to you about Windows ten in the future because well, this yeah. is, this is a kind of problem that's going to take people a while to really figure out that's bugging them. And by then, Microsoft's going to be talking a lot about Windows ten, uh, and Windows ten has a lot of power user features. So you mean it, Windows eight point two? Yeah. Did you okay. see that Microsoft is building a new browser in Windows 10 called Spartan? What do you think about this? Well, who cares? All right, it depends on who you're talking to, right? If you're talking to a developer, do I give a – not to get vulgar, but a rat's ass about Don't you? Spartan? Don't you? No, I care, I care about the only web browser engine that matters, WebKit. So Spartan is still going to use Microsoft's Sharaka JavaScript engine and Microsoft's Trident rendering engine, not WebKit. So then it might as well not exist. This is according to sources for Mary Jo Foley. You know what would be more interesting? I mean, maybe it's because I'm, you know, developer-y. Tell me a Visual Studio Community Edition. That's much more interesting. Windows 10 is just changing the UI back to Windows 7, exposing more power user features. Yeah. You know, it, Doing everything Windows users like. Honestly, Seriously, Windows that's, 10 that's... Is, the, is the Snow Leopard, right, to yeah. Windows 8. Mm-hmm. It is the good version of what people like that of Windows 8. This is going to be their strongest foot forward, obviously, since Windows 7. And uh, I think uh, Apple is in a poor position. I think it's partly how they structure the uh, uh, this, their 
their development their development shop. I think it's partially maybe people are reporting to the wrong uh, marketing, no, like you know marketing instead of it, development or something. It, it's the simplest thing in the world. If you're doing a complicated piece of software and you have a fixed deadline and a fixed budget, you are screwed. Right, right. I mean, so, well, to so, their credit, they ship. I mean, seriously, to their credit, they do ship. That's not a feature. No. Right. When, they're not doing contract development work for hire. They're building a product. Shipping the product earlier is not a feature. Are they feeling the heat from Android? Is that what it is? With Mac OS? No, I'm going back to iOS now. I, Android doesn't update either. Right. Yeah, the old devices out in the market take forever. So what is I, it? Why are they doing it? Because they're not really competing against Windows because Windows doesn't release this fast. Android, while it has fast releases, they don't trickle out to the market for ages. I think the problem is that they've become so mobile-focused that, you know, one thing, I don't think we need a mobile OS update every year. I think it's, you know, I see a lot of our customers at fingertip, you know, it took months to recover from the iOS 7 transition, right? It was like, people aren't using these devices as toys anymore. Right. We don't need updates every year. And, and, and a desktop workstation, don't update it. Or, or rather do something like a rolling release where give me security patches. Small stuff over time. Right. Bug yeah, fixes. Incremental of course changes. I want that. I don't – you know, d- don't reskin my UI. So what is this where maybe something like the Google Play API services layer makes a little more sense? If you could keep, because in this way you can keep driving new features to the platform that developers can take advantage of, but you're not replumbing the interface in front of the user every year. I don't think it's the same thing. See, I, I think you are creating a false equivalency between mobile and and workstations. Okay. Um, and I, I guess where I'm getting at is, I here's where here's why I am doing that is, I think what Apple is doing is they are taking a mobile mindset, saying the firmware. They want to treat macOS. What they're trying to do, I think, is create the mindset that macOS is like a firmware. It's, you, it's a device. Right? Yeah, it, it's, it's not a, a workstation. Right. A Mac, think of a MacBook Air, right? That thing is sealed up. It, everything is soldered together. You buy it as it is when you buy it. And, and, and then they, they, they send you down an update from the App Store. It's a, they want you to think about like a, a yearly firmware cadence, I think. And, and they're, they're willing to just go balls out to try to do that. Is I, I, is the only thing I can figure, and that doesn't really help anybody other than Apple's marketing message. And I think developers I, will smell it and be like, you know what? Ain't nobody got time for that. I'm just okay, going to well, go. First off, the thing, on the Mac side, things developers are smelling is, hmm, we're not making money on the Mac App Store anymore, or did we really ever? Right. Um, the Mac App Store sandboxing policies are way too restrictive to do anything useful. Think about longtime Mac developers, the guys who, I forgot their name, but the guys who make Coda, right? If you're not oh, a Mac guy, you wouldn't panic. Thank you. Huge yeah. app used. I, I've even bought it a couple of years ago, an older version. E, yeah. Guess what? The version on the App Store is is hobbled compared well, or, to the version or, you buy through their site with PayPal or whatever. On our side, on the on the editing machine, you know, we have software from Rogue Amoeba that uh, right. we had we had years and years before. We've bought every version for you know almost uh, eight years now, and uh, when they moved to the App Store, we bought those versions. And right. now we've had to buy the versions that are outside the App Store because they've pulled out of the App Store. They've discontinued it, right? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's real tough to take a thirty percent cut and then you know restrict what the developers can do. But the, I mean, that that's yesterday's fight, right? You're not going to get you're not going to get that back. And I don't. I think this is the same thing that happens every year, right? Because really, 
this these types of people came out after Apple did those, you know, that really positive WWDC, right? Where they're like, we're going to open up, you can do all this stuff. And then they turn around and rejected a bunch of apps for little to no reason. Right, like the calculator widget and stuff right. like that. Right, so, so they already pissed a lot of people off. Right, this is and some they, of that. And then they released, you know, then Yosemite was found to be... Subpar. I would say well, disappoint. Not Maybe not disappointing, but it didn't meet the hype, right? So there were some issues, right? Like some of the stuff doesn't work as smoothly as you would like. Um, in particular, the thing where you connect your phone and answer phone calls is great, except if I have my Mac off and then I come back to my office, it's, it has to notify me about all the phone calls I actually missed while I was in the car or something like that. It's crazy. It's oh, really? <laughs> I, I would never use that. You know, I've learned with Google Voice, it drives me crazy when all my devices ring. Right, and especially if you have your phone on silent and then the freaking Mac rings, which is beautiful. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I see where you're coming from, but I think you're – you know, this to me is a cyclical thing that happens every 18 months, right? Apple gets on their high horse, starts yes. projecting developers' apps. Yes. People get pissed off. Right. Apple says nothing. I think, I think there's a component you're missing too is uh, specifically uh, guys like Marco uh, who are in the position of commentating on Apple when Apple is doing nothing, like taking holiday breaks and not releasing products right. uh, because Apple has just slow periods. Uh, they sort of look around for things to comment on and they often find things that bother them and they bring them out and they sort of harp on them for a while. And then when things like product releases happen and WWDC comes around, everything's great, everything's fun, everything's exciting, here's the future, it's amazing. You know, I don't don't think that's fair, actually. I mean, if you look at it from his perspective, his livelihood is based on Apple apps, right, on iOS apps, basically. If they're being capricious or arbitrary in their rejections, that's pretty scary. Oh, sure, yeah. No, yeah, I agree with that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the so app stores. I, I, yeah. I don't think he's pandering. I think he's. No, know, I didn't mean that. I think it's like. Uh, I think it's uh, sometimes when there's not a lot to talk about, you look for something to talk about. A little bit. Yeah, but nobody looked for this, right? Everybody was surprised when they decided to turn around and arbitrarily reject stuff. I was surprised when I heard about it. Yeah. I thought they had gotten past that crazy crap. I, I guess to me, it just seems like, uh, well, uh, I, why, I, I guess I just, when I heard that, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. That sounds like Apple. That's not surprising. To me, no, it wasn't. See, 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 the thing is. Because you were a little bit on the outside, you haven't actually dealt with them. They had stopped doing that for the most part. So, you know, I can tell you I hadn't seen an app rejected in about a year Hmm. up until this fall Hmm. because they were very liberal and they were much more communicative in the process. If they had a question, instead of rejecting it and then asking you the question, they would simply call you or email you and ask you the question. Um. I think what happened is this, and who knows why, right? Maybe because of the holiday rush that always happens, they got a little more strict. But whatever the reason is, the the expectation they set at WWDC and their actions during this very busy app review season did not match. So people got upset. And, and frankly, I think I think the developers are right to be upset because, you know, what does it hurt Apple if I can do 2 plus 2 is 4 in a widget? Here's what I extension? think. Here's what I think. I think uh, big-time developers like EA and your Angry Birds, you know, your Rovios, all, they never run into this. Uh, they have the cachet. Apple sometimes will, will reach out to them first. You know, it, it, where, where it impacts are your independent developers, your small-time developers. And I feel like they're just, you know what, at a certain point, they don't have the time, they don't have the energy, and they definitely don't have the money to risk it. And they're just going to look elsewhere. It's either going to be a web app or it's going to be Android. And I think nope. it's... No. no chance. Absolutely not. Maybe Android, but it's not going to be a web app. 
you're just not going to get any revenue. Oh, yeah. I mean, show me, show me a profitable web app that isn't really a software as a service service. Right. Yeah. Or, or yeah, I, you're just not going to do it. You're not going to, I mean, there's also an argument that really, if you're trying to go for profits on apps, you're not doing a straight sale either. But I, I, I think you're, you're missing the broader point of they hadn't done this for almost a year. Like they had actually, and I can tell you from personal experience, they had called me. They had emailed me asking questions. You know, they had let me put myself down as the rep for my customers so that rather than my customer get the scary email from Apple, I would get it. Mm. And that I could deal with them because I, you know, sometimes customers just panic, right? Like, Right. Yes. Then they decided not to do that. And it created, it again, expectations. This is kind of like if your kid just got potty trained and he took a crap on the floor. You're, you're pretty upset. Right? Like you, you're not happy because you thought you were done with it. We worked this out. Right. We had a deal. You were going to wipe and poop on the toilet. Right. Yeah, I, I do understand your point there. Uh, I, I guess, see, I, I do look at it. I, I always look at it from uh, a, a wider, like, what is Apple's overall long-term nature when I look at these kinds of things? And to me, what you what you perceived as this is Apple's new behavior, to me, was more perceived as, well, if you average it out, this is just a, a, an anomaly. Because their nature is to treat that thing like an appliance, like a consumer electronics device, like a Nintendo where you get it and it has you know, very specific things you can do for it and the App Store is known for very specific things. It's part of their image. It's part of the brand. And they can only go so long without going back to that. And without, I'm sure, maybe somebody like Phil Schiller coming down going, what are these apps? These don't represent what our iPhone is all about. It's too complicated. Having buttons in the, in the pull-down, that's too complicated. Get it out of here. I can see that happening. So it just doesn't suit. Anyways, I just think overall it's a meta story of people are going to get tired of this crap. You think not? I think it can't. I think this case, I think by the end of 2015, something's going to have to give here. Well, I, I think the only way you could be right is if the revenue story on Android or the web got so much better or that the revenue story on iOS got so much worse. Right. I think the you, Android one is, is just bound to happen. Eventually, it's just bound to happen. Maybe. I mean, I can tell you the experience of, in one way, developing Android apps is a little more painful when you run into the specific, you know, oh, Samsung doesn't like to render colors the right way issue. But deployment is great, right? Google Play is back and is far better than iTunes Connect. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, you know, half a dozen, six, one way, but... I, I just I don't see it happening because I, I don't unless people are going to start spending money on the Android store. I mean, what would cause that? Yeah, I, I think it will be. I think the Play Store will start getting. I think Google is pretty aware of this problem, and Google is the master at connecting things to require things that you normally wouldn't sign up for things. But if you need access to this one thing, you're going to have to put your information in this other thing, and now you have this thing. And I think uh, tying, I think Google will do everything it takes to get you to get your credit card information into a button that's connected in the Google Play Store. If it's yeah, through great. voice, if it's through Hangouts, if it's through Google Plus, if it's through AdWords, if it's through TV content, music, whatever they can come up with, and they're not done yet. You know, if it's through YouTube subscriptions so you can support your favorite YouTube artist or get paid, they're going to connect that button. And then once those buttons, they're going to have a million different reasons to connect that button. And, and it's going to be – it's not going to be one big thing. It's going to be a 1,000 cuts, and people are going to be signed up, and pretty soon they're going to have money behind that button, and people are going to be buying Android apps. 
because Google has that massive scale where they can just funnel in the people over time. That's my that's my suspicion. Suspicion, and once people that's what I suspect, and then once that starts to happen, uh, I just think people won't have the time to put up with Apple. I'm not saying it's going to happen right away, but I think you're going to see it happen on two fronts. Right. I think you're going to see it happen. Not with all developers, not with the majority of developers, but I think you're going to see it happen with a a percentage of like web developers will move their desktops over to Linux. Not a lot, but a, a, probably a respectable percentage because of these annoyances, all of these uh, essentially marketing debts that they're paying for, Apple's marketing debt that they're pushing onto the operating system users, they're going to get sick and tired of paying for that and they're going to move over to an operating system that has zero marketing debt, no marketing influence over your desktop experience, which is amazingly liberating and also very self-assuring that you know something's not going to go in a crazy direction because of a new vision. And people will, re- people will move over because of that on the desktop front. Developers on the iOS front will get frustrated uh, about the iOS App Store situation. Not wholly, but a percentage will, just like the desktop. Not all of them, but a, a, a noticeable percentage. And I think revenues will go up on the Android Store. I think this is the year where that transition happens. Maybe. I'm not sure I buy it, but we'll see what happens. I don't know if it'll be done by the end of the year, but I, I just look at... Uh, Apple doesn't seem to be shaking up, and I suspect it's some of the old guard that's still around that uh, probably isn't going anywhere because they're pretty well entrenched. That's my theory, Mr. Dominic. I'd love to hear the audience's theory. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and choose Coda Radio. Let us know or go to codaradio.reddit.com and submit your thoughts. What do you, uh, what do you got going on this week, Mr. Dominic? Anywhere you want to send people? No, just uh, DominicM.com. DominicM.com. Also, you can check him out on Twitter. Uh, and I'm on Twitter, too. I think I have links in the show notes, so go click those. Don't forget you can join us live on Mondays. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar and uh, see the live time in your local time zone. It's uh, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, jblive.tv. Participate in the chat room and bang suggest a wig to help title our show. But really, that's subreddit, coderadio.reddit, coderadio.reddit.com. We'll have a feedback thread in there. You can also just start a thread in there. Submit topics, discussions. We love it. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Coder Radio. See you right back here next week. <laughs>